Welcome back to RinkWise, everyone. We are New England's premier hockey podcast produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. We're back again to give you another great episode, this time discussing a lot of things in hockey, but specifically with events and showcases that are really great for athletes to participate in. Joining us in studio to help with this discussion is boys hockey expert, Bobby J. <laughs> Hey, Steph. That's very kind of you. I don't know. A lot of experience anyway, so. Tons of experience. We had a great chat before the show started and really excited to dive in this morning and talk hockey with you. Well, I appreciate that. Obviously, I've seen you with the Islanders and on the girls' side. I've, I've been with the Wizards, even though I run the boys' program for Scott. I'm in the rink every day, and my daughter's played for the Wizards, so I get the, the good fortune of being able to really get immersed in the girls' programs as well. Oh, it's great. And uh, we're so fortunate, right? Get to work in hockey and have fun every day and do what you love, right? So it's it's really fortunate. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and to see the kids develop is really what drives us, I think. I always joke, people ask, how do I stay in hockey? And, and said, if you don't have a plan to get rich, then you'll do fine. <laughs> but there's no question. I, I think we all do it because of the passion. For sure. And it's, it's great because all of your experience too, you've been able to see so much of the game and so much evolution and how things have changed so much and really be excited to, to get your perspective on that as we talk in the show. And again, as we talk about the showcases and things like that this off season, but, but I do want to talk more about your background because I, I think it's just, it's extensive and it is unique because you've had so much experiences both on the, the men's and the women's side. Yeah, I, I think I fell into a lot of that stuff. And maybe it's my career path and the development of me as a player, how I got to this. Because I was a good player as a young kid, but I wasn't the next anointed one. And I played because I loved hockey. And we had a rink in my backyard, and, and I enjoyed it. There was passion. But I had to kind of grind away, and I couldn't get too focused or transfixed on what everyone else was doing. And this guy's going there and playing for this team. I just played in my town, played on the team that they put me on and just had fun and tried to get better and be a good teammate. And it, that just kept going all the way from high school. I, don't, I didn't get asked to try out for the varsity at Burlington High till I was a junior. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nowadays, yeah. parents, my parents would have moved me three different places. But <laughs> it's all over, right, yeah. by your junior year. Yeah, right. team and it's time to pick up the golf clubs, right, to pick up a different sport. Maybe. Yeah, so same thing, college. Merrimack, I walked on, played my first three games, wow. JV, and by Thanksgiving I was playing with the varsity and played all four years there, ended up being a captain and free agent and pro, tried out, no guarantees, and ended up in the NHL for a very brief time, just grinding away that way and so now in development I feel like kids all develop at different ages I actually like late bloomers a bit for a lot of reasons but the main point I think is just focus on yourself and have fun doing it and then you'll get to your ceiling no that's great and that's a saying that we do hear that late bloomers like don't don't write a kid off at the age of eight or ten and certainly it's not just a saying, right? It's really true, and, and certainly you're living proof of that, no question. Yeah, I, I think it's a mistake to to do that, to write them off because we don't know how it's going to play out, and I think to focus all that energy at such a young age, then maybe getting into it for your child for the wrong reasons because the reality is, what, 98% of them aren't, aren't going to play college hockey or Division One or right. – so what are we in it for? And it's all those other things that, that I think we want to help develop in our kids and see them 
know, exercise, be teammates, have success, failure, all of it. But I, I think if you focus on that and the enjoyment, then kind of the rest will work itself out. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's wonderful advice because one of our discussion just prior to starting the show, it just a lot of pressure really exists nowadays. And pressure always existed in sport, but it's I think it's almost it's being directed in the wrong areas and the wrong ways. And, and in a way, Bobby, it's not just pressure of playing like in a big game, right, where your nerves are, are kind of starting to gear up, but it's it's more so detracting from the actual development of players and I hate to say it maybe excessive pressures from the outside with parents or, or what have you and that seems to be very pre- much more prevalent in our game today yeah and it, it's impossible I mean I listened to Jason Tatum talk the other night from game six to seven and he feels the pressure like he doesn't want to let anyone down he doesn't want to disappoint he so I think these kids don't want to disappoint their parents they right, they're, right. they're they're starting to attach, or the coaches. I mean, I coach the coaches at, at the Wizards, and I spend a lot of time trying to just remind them because we're all competitive people. Sure. We want to do well. We want to win. But, you know, we want to develop and let these kids fail a little bit, try something, make mistakes, and not feel like it's the end of the world when they come back to the bench or they get in the back of the seat of the car. And I get it. I'm a parent. It's hard. You see, you want what's best for your kids. So you're always like, you could have done this here. Why didn't you move that puck there? Right, right. But is that really helping? And it gets to a tipping point where it's counterproductive. And so I think that's probably what I've been seeing since when we were little. Yeah, yeah. And then I think we also have a bit of the flip side or the opposite of that too. A bit of an issue that we can see existing is is really sort of parents giving a false sense of where their kid is at. I, I know, Bobby, growing up, we were joking, storytelling, and I think my parents, my dad did everything but give me an inflated ego yeah. as, a, as a kid, right? And, and was in a position where I was often the, the best player on my team, often the best player on an all-boys team, and they did everything but give me an inflated ego and it kept me modest and humble and quite frankly I kept working every every year and getting better and better and again I think that sometimes we don't see that as much these days no doubt I think as a parent we we don't want to disappoint our kids like we're so worried about myself like their sense of self and ego and I'm not a psychologist but you know we have way more stuff to hear about that and and read about, and so we want to make sure we're trying to help them with their confidence. But again, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think that doesn't help ego in the long term. Maybe they right. think they're better than they are, or they're entitled to more ice, what line they're on, what team they make. I mean, we have to, as parents, have tough conversations and be a parent sometimes and say, well, okay, you didn't make that team with your friends that you wanted to, and you're on a lower team, but that's okay. Like, you can be the leader on that team. You're going to make new friends. You can work hard this summer and show, you know, that you'll be ready the following year. Right. Using my experience, I, I talked about, I was disappointed I didn't get asked to try out as a sophomore in high school. Like, but my parents didn't say, hey, you're, you're getting ripped off. They just said, I know you're disappointed, but do the best you can on JV and you'll make it next year and work at it. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's remarkable. And by the way, I don't think 
that would be the reaction of most parents these days. But, yeah. you know, we're, all, we're also in just a much different time and, and place. But, again, I think going back to you, just really pretty incredible. So you didn't make your junior high school hockey team. Or, excuse me, you didn't make your high school hockey team until your junior year. Correct. And I just want to point out for the record, you also played for the NHL. Yep. LA Kings. So yes. that is something I think that is really worth taking in if you're a hockey parent. And that's just almost unheard of, really. Yeah. Driving down here, I, I was talking a little bit. We, you and I were, Steph, and I said I had a story. Like, So Stephen Leach is Lexington kid. I'm from Burlington. We grew up together since we were, I don't know, peewees or second year peewees or something. And I was talking to him about coming down and doing this podcast, and we were talking about development. Now, Stephen played 14 years in the NHL. He's played in the Olympics. He's been a scout for Chicago, Calgary, St. Louis, Philly. <laughs> He's a hockey family. His brother's the head scout at Dallas. They're the doing last great. name Leach, yeah. Leach, yeah. Extensive, extensive hockey. Yeah, family good hockey family. Jay actually yeah. was one of the coaches. His oldest brother, Jay, was one of the coaches at Merrimack when I was there. Then he went to Maine, coaching the NHL. So really good hockey family. But, but long story short, we were talking about development and. And here's a guy who played 14 years in the NHL, and he says, I can't believe your story that you, you got there. Even for right. a brief time, I played a couple games. But, I, again, I, I think the secret is, and we talk about it, is having a passion, Yeah. right? He, he, the story he told me was about development and the expectations now with parents because it's expensive. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we're going to talk about it with these summer camps and showcases and right. spring teams and how much it costs. But, like, Stevens won a seven, and – he said his mother came down once. He was the youngest, and he took the door off the basement like closet. When he had it on the ground with motor oil on it, and he built his own slide board. Yeah. And he said, "I had an old pair of sneakers, and I had sliding back and forth on the closet door." My mother went nuts, and he said, "We we that's how we rolled then. We just the passion, like you and I talked about shooting pucks, shooting yeah. basketballs out in the driveway, and I think." It just was self-motivation, and we just wanted to do it. It was fun, and there wasn't an expectation from my parent that, well, if you are shooting pucks out in the driveway, that we're not paying $3,000 for a spring league, and you better, like, do this. So Yeah, yeah. Because I think when you get to the level and the age that you kind of might have something and you got to make a decision, what commitment are you going to make? That's usually in high school. Maybe, you know, freshman, soft, 13, 14, 15, you might start to see this kid, girl or boy, has something and might be able to go somewhere with this. Now there's going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of commitment. You're going to have friends are going to the beach in the summer. You're going to work out. Right. You're going to right. all this stuff, study hard so you can get an opportunity to go to a good college. You got to make sacrifices. And if you burn a lot of that, there's not much left in the tank because they sucked it out of you when you're a kid. <laughs> oh, and yeah. all the pressure and all the stuff you're running around. No other to. way to put it. That's right. What do you got left when you need it? Right. And I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. I think at those ages for me, I just had this burning desire. I, I loved it. I, I yeah. wanted yeah. to get better and yeah. I enjoyed it. And I don't think it was like burnt out of me at a younger age. I think I think that's just wonderful perspective because generally the characteristics of those that say make it yeah. to a high level or the next level or what have you because there's there's great athletes that will play college and maybe not go into the NHL category but they're still great players but but it's that internal drive and 
you know, you're right because it's just the time and effort and hours, right, that it takes to really get to that level. If it's not internal, Bobby, I think it's essentially impossible, yes. right, any other way. I mean, unless you're just like freakish genetically and it does happen. I mean, there's guys in the NHL, you know, that I'm sure a lot of NHLers will tell you that they didn't really, by the time they're there, they didn't really love hockey anymore, but they were big, strong, could skate. They're making a lot of money. Like, what else are they going to do? So yeah. there's this, but you can count them on one hand. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think the other key to that is no matter how high you get at a level, even if it's division one college and you're at an Ivy league school or BC or what BU, if you're not enjoying it, like what good, is, what good is that? I, I think that's a big mistake. And so that that stuff gets lost, I think, in the shuffle along the way here. We're so right. driven on the task and that 10,000 hours, the book, and obviously that, that was an eye-opener for a lot of people, but it doesn't say who can get to the 10,000 hours the quickest. Right, you know? right, yes. You don't need them by the exactly. time you're eight. Yeah. You need them to, to really become a lead at something, but it's probably more value in some of those hours as you get a little older. And your body's different and your mind's different. The preferred practice, the focus on your practice. Like I remember reading another book about it and they talked about golfers, like amateurs and myself. We just go hit a bunch of balls at the range and nothing really changes because we're <laughs> doing the same mistakes. Right, but right. the pros practice one shot at a time and they're actually like dialed in mentally on it. I mean, 10-year-olds, it's hard to do that. The, some of them do. The focus level you can identify from yep, higher yep. level players. They are usually more focused, but you can also suck that out of them a little bit too. So I think all of a sudden now I'm 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, and I'm, I understand mentally like the focus I need to improve my edge work and stuff sure. like that. So now I want to have some fire in me to go to the rink and skate for 40 minutes on a without pucks and just work on edges. Yeah. You know, yep. like, not many 10-year-olds love that. Not not many, right? <laughs> but it's, no, that's a, a great a great book, Outliers, the 10,000-hour rule. Yeah. And Bobby, it's funny, I always crack a joke on this show about my golf game. So it's <laughs> worth it. I feel like I could put 10,000 hours yeah. in my golf and it wouldn't get any better. That's the one sport where it actually wouldn't wouldn't do anything. But but that's a great point. And, and I'm a big believer in the athletic pyramid. So with the base starting at like the younger levels and establishing the core skill work and et cetera. You, you go up the pyramid and then you start to get into specialization. I'm a big believer in that. And I think it definitely still exists, but I think the pyramid just looks a little different now. Yes. And I think this all ties in well to our advice for, for athletes as they're approaching their, their off season and plans and showcases. But the, again, back to the internal drive. I remember getting back from school when I was a youngster and it was either I'd go out in the driveway and shoot pucks or shoot basketballs. Those are my two big sports. And not once did my parents have to tell me to go practice, right? It was often the opposite. Like, hey, can you actually come inside and do your homework and yeah. stop, yeah. put put the hockey stick down? But, and that's that's key. Like, that's just really, I think, just if, if that needs to be really evident in your young athletes because of what it really is going to take for them to to achieve success at the next level up. Yeah, and there's no question there's a balance, right? I mean, especially today, the game's changed. The players are bigger, faster, stronger than when we played, and there's more specialized training, all of it. But 
I think there's a balance to it. And, and so how do you commit to that, but make sure you're enjoying it and having time off to develop, you said shoot baskets, develop other skills. I hear kids getting double hip surgeries at 15 now. And Uh, I mean, that's, you cannot tell me that's not overuse and just, they're not training, cross training enough to develop all their muscles, to develop specific muscles for one skill. And I think it's catching up to us, the kids. And so like, I remember season ended, we threw the bags away. We went to baseball, basketball, whatever. Lacrosse is a big thing now, which I think is a great transit kind of cross sport for hockey, soccer. But by the time the fall or the end of the summer ran around, we were like dying to get back on the ice. Yeah. And there is a balance. You need, the, especially as you get older, and we're going to talk about it with midgets and that and exposure and, and development stuff later going into recruiting, etc. But how do you balance that with like cross training and still having a fire for hockey when it's season rolls around? It's a lot of times multiple teams, multiple seasons. Well, I play on these two teams in the winter. I play on this summer team. I do this showcase. And it's like, okay, mom, dad, where are we going today? Which team am I on? And it becomes a little bit just like a robot. Right. And you 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 lose the fire. You think for, for yourself when you had that small break that it you were more refreshed and sharper to start hockey again, more energetic. No question. I, I think it happens to pros even. A lot of pros don't skate. They take a couple months off, minimum, and then they'll start skating again in the end of July. And now, think about it now, they go in the first day of camp's probably the best shape they're in all year, right? Yeah. They yeah. start getting injuries, but they train hard in the summer, a lot of off ice, but they don't skate for a couple months. They, they let their bodies heal. They let their their mind heal. I think at high levels, and you played Division One, a great hockey, it's mentally a grind. It really is, yeah. And yeah. so you're Indeed. resting your body at those ages, you're training other muscles, but you're also clearing your head a little bit and being a kid, being having some balance in your life and doing other things. Like I tell kids, you shouldn't be at a rink every weekend this summer. You should be at a lake or the beach or water skiing or whatever you're doing but like have some fun too <laughs> yeah yeah then you'll then you'll be like i miss hockey instead of oh we got another one next weekend and that is a great point though because i think we often are focused on the physical side of things giving a physical break and whatever but it's you're absolutely right like i almost forgot until you mentioned it at the end of your season at northeastern i mean it is a grind yeah. at that level and just that mental break just really, um, honestly, just doing absolutely no hockey was so important, I felt like, at that level. Just yeah. when your season ended, that you just kind of be a regular, quote, student-athlete for a couple weeks. Brad Shaw is a friend of mine. He's so I played with him for a bunch of years in the minors, and he's been coaching in the NHL. He's associate head coach of Philly now with Torts. He was in Tampa with him. He's been in at least five NHL teams. So, And he was. we had this conversation. We were talking about it, and... He just had said one day, he was coaching in St. Louis. This is probably 10 years ago, so I don't think I'm talking out of school, but Dougie Waite was there. And I said, hey, he called me. He was on his way to the rink for a morning skate, Brad, the assistant coach. And I'm like, how's it going? All good. We're doing well with small talking. And he goes, it's just been a battle though, the last few weeks. Now, Doug Waite was probably in his 14th year. He had won the Stanley Cup with Edmonton. He's like, 
500 goals or something in the NHL, and he's like, I just, I got to go to the rink every day and like pump up Dougie Weight. He hasn't been scoring. He's struggling a little. His confidence is down. And I'm thinking to myself, Dougie Weight's like NHL All Star, Stanley yeah. Cup champion, NCAA champion, Lake Superior. Like, he's got all the money. He's had an incredible career. And here's a guy struggling to find his confidence every night. Wow. And if that's happening, how do these 10-year-olds, 14-year-olds, college kids that are get a scholarship, the pressure's on, they're fighting against other great players trying to take their spot, how are they doing mentally? And don't they need a break from some of that at some point? If you sit there and grind over it all summer too, something's going to give sooner or later. It's just hard. I, I don't have an answer for that because you're right. I mean, yeah. we it's, it's just it's something I think that needs to sink in and be thought of, I think, a little bit more because... My next question to you is, because you are you are involved at every level of hockey. You really are, either now or at some point in your career. And do you think that kids are doing too much hockey between their actual winter season, spring, and summer? I do. I, I do, yes. Again, I think the balance is, and it's so hard as a parent, because they're the ones that really drive the bus. Because you're going to, you want what's best for your kid. That's 99% of the people. So you don't want to miss an opportunity. If, if the kids that your son or daughter is competing against are going here, doing this, playing there, you don't want them to fall behind the eight ball. So you get influenced by other people saying, you got to get on this team. You have to do this showcase. Like, and I'm here to say, like, no, you don't. Mm. No, you don't. As a matter of fact, you could consider bucking a trend and how maybe you need to use your own judgment and your own kid. Everybody's different, and you don't have to follow everyone else. You and I were talking. I'm, I'm my draft year, or my I graduated Merrimack in '88, so I'm an old guy. But Scott Fusco, who's my boss, played two-time Olympian. He was always a high-end player at a young age. But I remember World Juniors, U18s in my era. Half the team USA was like. Massachusetts kids. Yeah. 10 yeah. to 12 kids on wow. a team and probably 10 Minnesota kids, just like the movie Miracle. Think of that Olympic team. Yeah. It was Boston and Minnesota. And then you sprinkle in a couple Michigan kids. Nowadays, there's a Florida kid, a California kid, but there's no, no Massachusetts kids. There's one or two, Matty Berniers, uh, Jack Eichel. Those guys are like exceptions. Mm. Now, if you look at the world junior teams, they're not a lot of Massachusetts kids. So... Is the model like helping or hurting right now? And I, I, I would, I mean, I only use my own kids, for example. I keep them, I don't chase that stuff. I made them stay off the ice a bit. And for sure, you want to play for fun in the summer, too, if you want to do a couple tournaments with your friends. or I think that's great, and it's fun. You love hockey. You want to play. It's fun. But, right, right. But the, then again, there comes the difference when why are we doing this? Are we doing it because... We're on a path to develop our kid at 10 years old because they got to make Division One college. Or are we doing this because they love hockey? It's fun. They're getting better. They're developing other physical and mental skills. And if you, if you think like we're doing this for the latter, they're going to get to where they get because they're going to have the fire. They're going to, you got to obviously put them in opportunities with good programs that have good coaching. So they learn, like you said, the pyramid is absolutely so critical to learn the foundational skills. Right. When I first started at Harvard, I had been in pro playing and coaching. I coached six years in the American League. So I was probably, what, I played 10 years, six, 17 years of pro since I had seen in the amateur. 
And I'm at Harvard. Ryan Lannon was there who played for Wilkes-Barre, Pittsburgh for a while. Noah Welch, who was second rounder, really good players. Yeah. And then they told me this story later, but the first day in the morning, 5 a.m., we're having like these skills things. And I'm telling him, you want to play in the NHL, you got to turn the net and hit that wing if he's open. That's all you got to worry about. Yeah. Defend, yeah. right? Yeah. And they thought I was crazy because, like, what are you talking about? Like, I can do that in my sleep. That, that the NHL, they got to do way more skill plays than that. And I said to them, no, you just have to do the ones you're doing right now mm-hmm. under more pressure. Like, it's going to come faster. You got to make it. You got to be accurate. So the, the moral of that story, they came back. They both played in the NHL, a longtime minor leaguers, too. And, and Noah just was playing in Europe. He played in the last Olympic team when the NHL guys didn't go for U.S. And they said, yeah, you were right. Like, you just make the plays that are there. And, and, but there's pressure. And the guys are big and strong and smart. And, and what, ho- what holds up under that pressure is your fundamentals. If you pass, if your hands are in the right spot, your balance is there, you're a good skater, the odds of your percentages are going to go way up. You're going to be more accurate. You're going to be able to sort the play out quicker, and you're going to make the plays that are there before they get closed out. Mm. And so I think all that's tying into development. It kind of goes all over the place. But but get your fundamentals down. Put them in an opportunity that they can learn them and be coached them. But the rest is 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 a, is organic. Like you cannot manufacture it. It, it doesn't happen because there's tons of kids, girls and boys, that are playing on the most expensive teams, all the tournaments, chasing everything, and they're not making it. So why is that? Like if it, that's the guarantee, then then why isn't that happening? Fundamentals definitely the key for sure. It seems like everything always comes back to that and a lot of a lot of great points in there and really eye-opening indeed some of those numbers with say the decrease in number of elite I guess professional or Olympic level hockey players male and female Bobby that are coming out of Massachusetts as opposed to years past I mean you, you look at BC BU's rosters right I mean now obviously hockey's grown in Southern California, like when I was there a brief time, I, I got a chance. Gretzky was there, and that was huge. That just blew hockey up in South Southern California. Teams in Denver, teams in Dallas, teams down in Florida. So that's a lot of it, too, that just the competition's there. But, but a ton of it, like when I was in college at Merrimack, the whole team at BC was Massachusetts kids. Wow. I mean, yeah. 22, 24 Massachusetts kids. Kevin Stevens, Craig Janney, Brian Leach, Hall of Famers from around here he's connecticut brian but like these kids were all local and bu was the same way and now like you see it at northeastern even it's just a way more inf- influx of kids from out of state out of country a lot of canadians europeans think of bu's going to finland to get kids now all over all over and and i think bobby it's it is a great point and i think it's people who are at the grassroots in massachusetts we have to actually talk about it because the excuse or I was I guess excuse that we'll hear back is is to your point well the landscape is much larger where they're pulling kids from and etc right but you know the the point that you made like we're just that the level of those types of players coming out of Massachusetts is greatly diminished right now so there has to be a reason for that yeah I mean I think we narrow the field down too quickly so 
the top, top end, the Jack Eichels, are still, we are getting them. Will Smith's going to be a high draft pick this year. I think top five probably, a Massachusetts kid, so he's out the development program. On the boys' side, we're still getting them, but there's so few. The depth isn't there. And I, I do think now, when I didn't make the top team in Burlington, I played on the second team, and I still had some friends, and I was in town. Where else was I going to go? Now, if I don't make the top team, my parents are going to pull me out and bring me somewhere else, and and like, or I'm just going to be like, well, I'm on the worst team. I don't, I don't want to play anymore. I'm 12 now. It's like, yeah, I'll try something else because you you're almost like going to consider yourself a failure. Well, I didn't make this team, so instead of me staying here and playing and just develop like I I did, and I'm sure thousands of kids did our age. Like now, I'm getting a negative experience of it all and I just kind of lose my fire a little so now I'm pulled out at 12 I don't get a chance to make the varsity as a junior and keep going and probably develop more from 15 to 21 than I did from 4 to 14 I know those are that's kind of a a little bit of a unique situation but just we don't have enough kids in the pool all the way through development we weed them out too early Mm. Well, in our, our model, as you mentioned, too, in Mass, it's a whole other topic, a whole other podcast we could really do just on this. And we probably really will at some point to to talk about our development that's taking place right now. And I, I do want to bring up one of the other points that you had mentioned, just too, with the, the off-season. And one of the things you said that parents, they do want to do the best for their kids. Of course, of course they do, right? They all do. But I think... Bobby, it's sometimes with a lack of information or education. You're right. Like, it's not necessary to play on a winter team and then sign up for another team, which, by the way, is equal, if not more, money, right, which probably would be a better investment in some of the other things, right, in the off season. But it's it's not necessary, right? Like, that didn't exist years ago. And it's just sometimes the pressure, I think, is just taking over a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, because of, because of the financial commitment. So they want something in return, too. So there's an expectation there. There's, there's so many pressures to cut the parents a break. There's so many pressures on them. They want what's best for their kid. They're listening to some person at the glass on Saturday morning who probably doesn't really have a lot of experience to advise you, but they're going to. They're telling you what you need to do to get there, and they've never got there themselves. Or right, right. <laughs> so that's hard because you want to do the right thing, right? And and then just the pressure of your competitiveness yourself. So they have all parents have all these pressures on them. I don't want to shortchange my kid. I'm spending a ton of money. Like I want him to f- her feel good about themselves and have success. And let's be honest, we have a little ego too. We want to be. In the lobby, when everyone's saying, wow, you, Steph's kid's awesome. Right. Bobby's sure. kid's the best. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We got to temper that stuff as hard as it can be sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that's a problem. Because back to like that development part, there's a lot of good programs in Massachusetts. A lot of good programs. And so if your kid doesn't make the top team in a program you picked, don't pick it because they're the, they win the most games. Pick it because the what you're looking for balances. You got a good coach. They got a good kind of philosophy in development. Like Wizards, we play all our kids. I want them playing all the kids. Obviously, 
as you get older, that changes because in high school they don't. So you want to have the kids prepared for that. Like right. you get yep. rewarded for success and playing the right way and effort. And But you get in that program. You pick a program that's near your house, hopefully. That would be a great start. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah family's it, not hostage. It should be. No, it should it be. Should be. Con- convenience, it's, I think, should be an important thing, especially at the younger levels. Yeah. Yeah. And then you stay there. And unless something's really not working, but just because they don't make the first team – their first year for girls or whatever, first year U12, is that necessarily a reason to move them out of that program? Stay there, let them deal with that, let them develop through that. Two years from now, they might be the best kid on the first team, and all those kids that beat her out when she was 12, they're on the third team. Mm. It happens. Yeah. And, and I, I think those things just get, they get lost in, in the shuffle. I think we don't see kids being allowed to fail as much and by fail and that's a strong word but it's just experience a little bit of adversity because I can tell you back years ago I think the best thing that ever happened to me was not making a particular team and again back then it wasn't we're not going to go travel somewhere else it's like I played on one program my entire upbringing and I did work harder I was upset at first probably was crying to my parents but I think the next day I went back out in the drive like I went right back to work and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me it's a great story and and failure you're right is is too strong a word it it actually is adversity because it's not a failure if you're not like you don't make the first team that doesn't mean you're a failure right it it means it's just other kids better maybe maybe they picked the wrong kids that happens so don't the kid, your son or daughter doesn't need to hear that at 10. Mm. That that shouldn't be the messaging, right? And I also think, like you, Steph, you get to where you got at Northeastern and play at that higher level is because of that attitude. You didn't quit or pout, which even if you decide, you know what, hockey, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm right. not, that's fine, too. Yeah. Like, that's okay. Yeah, um, I think so, too. But you had, you had an internal desire to want to get better and make that team, and that's how you get there. Mm. Not your parents saying you got ripped off, the coach was terrible, they picked the wrong kids, we're out of here, we're going down the street. That's probably not the messaging, because it's not going to happen in high school. They do, if you try to call the coach, it's not going to help your kid. And they definitely don't do it in college. And so I think, I think again, sending the right messages to the kid, you're building the metal, you're building that toughness to handle the adversity. I did it in pro in the American League. We had kids first rounders, second rounders, great players that major Canadian, major junior kids from Canada, 100 and something points. They get to LA, they go to camp. Ziggy Palfi's there and you know, these guys that they're not going to beat out at eight, 19 years old. They go to the minors at 20 and they cannot handle it. They've never had a failure. They've been a first round pick in the Quebec major league. They've been an all-star leading scorer, high draft pick. Now they're in the minors and, and they're ready to quit. Yeah. You know, and you can't almost even blame them. You know, they just haven't had it yet. They haven't had to go through it. And you're helping your kid, in the long run. And I coach the older kids too, right? At uh, the Wizards and kids, we get, we're getting kids drafted in the NHL and high end division one kids. And, and again, I see it. They, you need to handle have some of this lack of success at younger ages when your brain's in that development mode to, to learn how to cope with it. Yeah. 
and get your parents to, and hopefully coaches and people that you trust, prep coaches, whatever, to, to guide you through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that'll be, I think, a great segue into talking about our events and showcases that we do want to help our some of our student athletes with and the audience and, and whatnot. And I think you're certainly in a position where you're constantly advising your kids and helping them. And it's a big, big part of our role, I think. And so clearly with the off season coming up, so June, July, August, Bobby, I think is a big time for events and showcases. And just for the sake of this episode too, we'll classify those events as an opportunity to be recruited. So whatever that might be, whether it's college or prep or yep. a junior program. And so starting out, so we'll just start maybe with the month of June. We can talk about some events and, and certainly too, if there's bits of piece of advice that are great, you know, for our athletes to know about. Sure. And, and I think age is part of this. Like USA Hockey people, the ADM, I believe, has been great because they did a lot of psychological studies, brain development, so certain body development, certain windows are good for certain development parts. Mm. And so I think that has to be applied to this, too. And, and so I think as you get older, you get into Bantam. Bantam's a good age where you really, kids start to separate themselves, both mentally. Some of them don't really love hockey that much anymore. Sure. When you're 10 and 8, you're going to the Bruins and you're watching on TV and pass the next score. Like, everybody thinks they're going to play in the NHL. Girls right. and boys. Right. And right. then WHL, too. And and so, as you get older, you start to figure out where you fit. But I think also physically, you start to see who was above their peers at those ages. So, I think, and then the opportunities start to come. Prep school is that age group. College, you start getting looked at as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, it's a little different, boys and girls, because the boys all go to junior now, too. It's just incredible how old some of the kids are going into college, which is another topic. But <laughs> Northeastern was all 21-year-old freshmen, I think, on the guy's side. It's unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah it was funny. My yeah. nephew's 2003, so he's going finishing his sophomore year in college. He's studying nursing at Lowell. He's doing great, but he was a good hockey player, but he didn't want to go play junior a bunch of years and all that. Yeah. So he's going to be a junior at Lowell in the nursing program, and some of his buddies are still playing junior. And it's tough. But I think, so my answer, I guess, is like at the youngest ages, I think you take a break. And I think you can work on some skills a little. Go to a camp in the summer or for a week, a couple hours a day. It's fun. You're out there. You meet new kids. And you are getting some hours in. You're doing the stick when you yep. skate. And you're yep. just driving home those fundamentals. And if, like I said, you get an opportunity to play with your friends in a tournament or something, then great. But but you're not training and, and getting exposure like a 16-year-old right. that has a pretty high level of skill. Where the pyramid starts to get a little narrow. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, I say starting at Bantam, like, you know, for sure it's got to be more of a directed, like, path. And if you, where am I? Am I going to try and make my public high school team and that's my end game? Am I going to try to get to prep? Or am I maybe a college prospect? And so I think, speaking on the boys' side, for the older kids, Bantam's up. I think really devote some energy. Pick a good skills development program where maybe you're on the ice one or two times a week working on skills, yep. not chasing tournaments and showcases. Yep. And then as you get older, midgets, 
I think you have to seek out, like if I'm, we're going to talk maybe college prospects or kids that, you know, are at that level, tier one players, all the colleges are especially, we're lucky around here. Almost all the division three schools are here. The NESCACs are oh, incredible yeah. schools. Oh, and yeah. Unreal. Fantastic hockey. So if my kid has a chance to go to Babson or Bowdoin or Trinity or like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and I yeah. think that all the, Division one, well, Harvard does, BU do. They, they all have like these kind of s- summer camps now. They'll have a long weekend where it's half invite, a little bit of sign up too, but it's, it's kind of selected for higher level players. If you're a candidate for an Ivy League school or a top NESCAC, those are probably worth picking out one or two where you might see yourself going to school. Yeah. Like, you know what? I Maybe I am a prospect for Harvard, so I can get on campus. They get to see me, know me a little more intimately, like off ice, see how hard I work, I train, I get to learn about the coaches. Do I really like these guys? Do they like my game? Those are, those are probably valuable. But by the same token, every school now, like Middlebury has a great one. There's so many Dartmouth has one. There's, they're good, and I, and I would advise on them. But you don't have to chase 12 of them all summer long. That, I think that's an excellent point because on our showcase talk, like that is another thing. A lot of colleges are now doing their own additionally. And I, again, I, I am 100% in agreement with that because, again, it just gets back to the value of your time and money. Yes. Because you can literally sign up for an event every weekend. But I agree, Bobby. Like I think with the window of opportunity for athletes, like say 16 and up, the window is starting to get a little smaller, so you have to really fine-tune that list. And agreed, if you're going to do an, an event at a college, be realistic. Can you be an actual prospect or candidate for that particular program? That's great. Uh, so, so true. I mean, you got to select what's most valuable for you. And you're right, because you can't chase it all. And I have kids in Middlesex. Like, we're, we're building here, and we, I have some really good players. And I have a couple Division One prospects, and I advise them. I talk to Harvard, talk to Teddy, and, and torts about them. And, like, they should go to that camp. I mean, one of them's got a chance, and, and he's probably going to be an Ivy League kid. I got two other kids that are fantastic players. I mean, they are excellent. But they're maybe Bowden or Middlebury, which is unreal hockey. And they should probably invest their energy to go to one of those camps if they're interested. Because Middlebury won't be the only school there. They'll be the ones that get to interact with them the most, but these camps also bring in other coaches. And think about if Harvard's having a camp and I'm the Brown assistant, uh, I'll probably shoot over there for a day and see who's there. Uh, So I think, yeah, again, you, you hit the nail on the head. The money and so you want to invest your money properly at the right level you think you have a shot at, but you also want to invest your time properly too. And once you start chasing them all and you don't have a shot at a lot of them, it's counterproductive. In the the word exposure too, I, I thought about this and like you're exposing yourself. Right. So if you're chasing a level you're not at, you're going to expose yourself. Mm. That it's not a good look for you. You go out against all NHL prospect division one guys and you want to go to Babson you're probably not going to show well at that camp but you go to a camp that's more in that level and NESCAC level players which are excellent and you can show well that might Jamie might walk away from that going wow he was one of the better kids out here so same with the summer tournaments some of those tournaments are great some are terrible like depends on the teams there's usually some good teams bad and you want to go play up 
I'm going to go play midget. I'm a bantam. Well, you go there, you guys, you're getting exposure. There's coaches there probably, and but you're not showing great. So that's something people probably don't think about, but you might want to. Yeah, yeah. Talk to that coach. Talk to your coach. Talk to you know your hockey mentor, whoever that is. Make sure it's the right fit. Now, Bobby, if you have so with your Middlesex team, so some of your guys, I'm sure, again, come to you for advice. What would be some of the events on the boys' side that you would probably encourage them to do this summer? Yep. So we, we, I've been having these conversations this spring, and I think there are some for sure, especially midget level, that are absolutely ones you want to kind of put on your calendar. And I think Peter Masters owns Junior Bruins. I think the Bean Towns are, are good events. He does a good job. They Girl are, side as well. Yeah, they're, they're on it. They know who the players are, and they, and it's competitive. It's usually equally competitive. And they are, the coaches do know the college and preps know when they're there. So I, I think they're good events. I think the O'Connells, Mike, when I was playing, had the BU camp. It was unbelievable. We all skated there, the pros and a lot of college kids in the summer to kind of get ready for camp. But they do the Pro-Am stuff, which is Chowder Cup and pre-draft and some of this stuff. That's in July, I think. They have each age group. They have a mini Chowder Cup and then a Chowder, excuse me, and then an older one. They're good. They're good. They get a lot of teams. They have a lot of contacts. They've been doing it a long time. So they get guys, teams down from Canada, Western and up in our area in the Maritimes and they're good teams, and they, they those kids are coming down to hopefully they're not playing Tier 1 major junior, so they want to go to college or prep. So they're getting good players that come down to get exposure for the summer. Nice. Yeah, th- those are good. And then, you know, briefly, the college camps we just spoke about, again, I would be more specific on the ones I pick to make sure it's the level I want and the school that I could see myself at. When I was at Harvard as a recruiting tip, but this lady, Sally Hardy, she's retired. She's a phenomenal admissions lady. She interviewed the hockey players, and the first question she would always ask them, well, God forbid something happened, you hurt your knee, or mm. you couldn't play hockey anymore. Would you be happy you're here? Yeah, yeah, and, Cla- classic Yeah, question. right? Yeah, I, I don't care right. where you think that school is. If you're not happy there, it could be Notre Dame. Hey, I want to go play hockey at Notre Dame. That place is awesome, unbelievable team, Notre Dame, but if I if I'm not happy there, it doesn't matter. And so I think picking the schools that you can see yourself at, you think you'd want to go to, and you could have a chance to play at that level, that's going to help you narrow your time down and pick the right places to get seen. Yeah. The other thing with that, I think those are just opportunities to be seen and get on the list. But these, the, these, colleges we're, we're gonna the recruiters watch you in your mid- winter season too in the fall split seasons for girls and boys are important because it is good hockey it is, yeah, for yeah. sure and i know when i was at harvard coaching we hadn't started yet i get out and see that stuff so it was good and the coaches will be there but you want to peak it right in the winter you want to be playing christmas time those tournaments before it's preps break break for christmas and stuff you want to be in your peak there and the coaches are all going to be there and they want to see you and so time that right don't burn it all all summer on half the tournaments or or half the teams in some of these tournaments are not very good and right right it's you win one day 10 nothing you lose the next seven one and it's like you're not even in shape so you show up you're, you're exposing yourself to these people watching and you're not even in sh- hockey shape yeah yeah so there's a balance play for fun some of them but if you're tr- you're Narrowing it down in that pyramid, you got to make good choices. And again, Steph, I think you, your experience and 
being able to help the Islander kids in that direction is so valuable. And I, I say, listen to us. We don't have all the answers, but you know, you've been doing it a long time. You've made it to the highest level. So I would tend to want to hear your opinion more than that person standing next to me down in the corner. You would hope so. Yeah, well, it doesn't always work because the other one's usually sells a lot more exciting way to do it. But we we do we do we're we're on the fundamentals. We want you you certainly try. It's 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 funny, Bobby, because I know I've also had conversations with families, and then they've gone and done the complete opposite of what I've suggested. So, like, well, maybe next time I'll just say what I don't want them to do, and then (laughs) George Costanza. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think unfortunately some. We'll just keep asking until you tell them what they want to yeah, hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, yep. you, and we, like I said, we don't always have it right, but we have a lot of experience. We've seen it over and over. And your situation, like to the person, is not unique. Like there's been other kids that we've had that are just like your kid and, right. you know, what level they're at or wh- where their desire is, what they need to work. Like there's a, this is stuff we just see year after year. It's just new kids. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and things change. It's, it's, it is fluid. It's definitely different than when I played. Like, but we're here and we're doing it every day at every level and every age. And we know college coaches. We know prep coaches. We are prep coaches. We played college. We we're, we're always, I mean, this is our job, right? Yeah. We're professionals. Yeah, yep. And Yep. We do it 24-7. That just helps. I would say it's it's a informed opinion. Well, I think the best way I, I'd put it is none of us are ever 100% accurate all of the time. But I will say with all the experts, yourself included, that we have in, there's so many consistencies in their advising. And I do think, though we're not correct 100% of the time, majority of the time, we are. Yeah. And again, I think, because we learn. We, oh, for sure. We've yeah. had mentors, people that have helped us, but we've also seen the mistakes that have been made. And we have a saying in the Wizards, like, our door swings both ways. Mm. We're not for everyone, maybe, and sometimes someone's disappointed and they want to go out and try something new. That's okay. It's okay. We're, we're, there's, like I said, there's great programs. If someone leaves us and goes to the Islanders, that might be the best thing for that individual. That's okay. So the Islanders beat us. We beat them. We both have good coaches. Hopefully we have good advisors there. Yeah. That's all fine. But they're also welcome back, too. And we yeah. just, we really feel our jobs, you and I, and this is why we do it, I think, too, is it's a business. But we want what's best for these kids. Like, you're paying us to hopefully look out for your kid and help them in that path. Like That's the goal. Let us at least do do it, a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, this has just been just a whirlwind of just incredible, I think, advice and information, really, truly, just so many things. And I think there's just, there's so many areas or avenues that we could continue to go down. And But it's, I think, again, it's just the, the consistency in a lot of the, the topics that we, that we say. And this has just been a wonderful, I think, segment on advising some of our student athletes. And Bobby, before we wrap things up, I have kind of a funny question I just want to ask you. So when you were with the LA Kings, did you overlap with Gretzky during that time? I did, yeah. <laughs> You've got to have some good uh, stories, something that was, I mean, that's pretty cool because very few people yeah. get to say they were on the same team as Wayne Gretzky. This is the craziest thing, but he's a good guy, by the way. He's super nice. He's quiet. He's, like, introverted. I went. I was there one year. I only played. So I, I 
only played three regular season games. I played eight preseason games. So I played with him. He probably played half of them. I pl- but my first NHL game and was with the, at the New York. I got called up. I was in Madison Square Garden. I flew there, met the team. My first game, I got an assist on a Gretzky goal. Wow. So I got one yes. point. I have one point in the NHL. It's assist on a Gretzky goal. So I always j- joke around, say, I think know. we needed a round of applause. <laughs> no. No, so, but so few guests get to say they the, have but their the cr- name next to Gretzky. The crazy two crazy parts of the story, and I don't talk about it much because I, I didn't play a long time. So, like, I don't want to sound like I was an NHLer. I played my career in the minors, and I had a good career. I, it was great. I played with a lot of great players. But walking on in the morning skate, so at Madison Square Garden is a little like kind of not an umbrella, but like a tunnel that's like collapsible that can walk out. And uh, I look up, I'm walking out, it's dark. And then when you get to the ice, it's like real bright. And honest to God, Gretzky's like right in front of me. And he slows down. In 99, I could see the, like the silhouette. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, hey, this is your first regular season game? I said, yeah, it is. But I was nervous. In the morning skate, I was nervous. And, and he's like, and they won the cup that year, by the way. The Rangers won. That was Messier and Richter and all those guys. And L.A. had lost the year before. That was the Marty McSorley illegal curve and all that. Oh, yeah. So I was on that. That was the team, basically. We had the same team back. Yari Curry was there. Rob Blake I played with. All those guys. Thomas Sandstrom. So we were good. But Gretzky just waited for me to come up. And he said, yeah, it's your first game. I said, yeah. He said, enjoy it. It's awesome. Have fun. I mean, that was wow. pretty nice of him, I thought. And, yeah. And so... Those are good memories, and it was it was a cup of coffee for me, but it was yeah. my third year pro. I kind of grinded it out to get to there, too, so to even get that chance, I was I was thankful because I say a lot of guys better than me that didn't even get there. It's so hard. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. you need some luck, too, and you got to keep just grinding away, though. But the funniest part, I said the crazy story, the other thing, you're not going to believe this, but I actually played a game with Gordie Howe, too. Wow. Yeah. Gordy oh, Howe, it was kind of a publicity stunt. So I was playing in Detroit for the Vipers, and Gordy was going to play in his, like, fifth decade or something. <laughs> he was like, I don't know how old he was. It was in his 60s. Talk about a robot, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, was, yeah. he hung out with us all week, practiced with us. Like, we'd be in the steam room. He'd be telling us war stories. <laughs> he was an unbelievable guy. But he dressed for a game for us, at, again, and we played at the Palace of Auburn Hills where the, where the Pistons play. 21,000 people there. I'll never forget it. Gordy, the whole play, like it was unbelievable. And he played like two shifts or something. But he's, I go, how do you feel? We were talking during practice that week. He goes, oh, it's, oh, it's the game. I I just get out here and I can, I can kind of feel it. It just brings me back. He goes, but I'm slower than an effing turtle. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, that's great. So, so. Here I am, like this career minor leaguer. I played with Gretzky and Gordy Howe. Wow. I don't know who else could say that. Unbelievable. <laughs> that's crazy. Really. That's that's just incredible. I mean, yeah. incredible storytelling and, yeah. again, just invaluable, I think, perspective on, on our discussion today. Thank you. Yeah, so. It was a pleasure and enjoy talking to you, and, and you guys are doing a great job. No, thank you. And I can't thank you enough for also braving the traffic. We were all <sighs> stuck in this morning, unfortunately, trying to get here. But what we do for... The Rinkwise podcast, right? So our audience can listen in. I think it's great. I think it's great to have the local flair too. And as you move up that pyramid, the hockey's a small world too, especially around here. And it's nice to see even in here some of the posters on the wall and past covers with kids that have gone a long way and had success. And it's it's awesome to kind of keep updated on them and watch them grow. That's the whole thing. Like we're watching them grow and get to their 
level. And if that's public high school, awesome. I mean, what a great experience Saturday night and all your friends are there and you're playing and that's okay. That's a success. It is. It is. Yeah. No. And Bobby, listen, we, we can't thank you enough. I would certainly love to have you back on the show at some point. Great. My pleasure. And that does it for this edition of Rinkwise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Be sure to catch us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Any Hockey Journal. And subscribe with us online at HockeyJournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Production.